Good morning from me. My name is Peter. It's good to have you at church. Are you happy to be here? I'm happy to be here. I felt like a bit of a marathon the last 10 minutes just to get here, but that's okay. Um, welcome to the last uh, episode, the last exciting episode in the Powerful People series here at Restoration Church. I trust that um, there's been something help, helpful for you or multiple helpful things along the way. And the goal has been that you'd be clear about what strength is, um, that um, some of you would see where, uh, or many of us would see where we abuse strength, other times where we uh, leave it unused um, and, and do better with it, get stronger. Uh, and, and what I want to do today is I just want to finish the series by looking at uh, the category of powerful people. Uh, I want to just take a step away from an individual understanding of power, which we've been looking at for the last three weeks, and look at what it, what it means in a corporate kind of sense. Uh, what does it look like from a church-wide point of view? And you just need to know that God intends for the church to be powerful and strong. And before you get too um, carried away with thinking about uh, politics and being this force in culture, you just need to know that the way that Jesus does power is subversive. It undercuts things. It isn't the typical way that power actually happens in our culture. You only have to go to Philippians 2 to see the way that Jesus laid his life down, went to the cross, and became the most powerful figure in all of history. Like, how on earth does that happen when someone does that? But he did. He did. He got executed on a Roman cross and he turned the world upside down. And now, today, to this very day, there's about 2 billion people who align themselves with him or say they align themselves with him. That is subversive. That's what it is. It, it undercuts. And, and, you know, one of the things that's curious about all of this um, is that if you go looking in the Gospels for Jesus railing against the Roman Empire, you just won't find it because he uses his power in a different kind of way. And the bottom line is that he, he wants his church to be powerful. Powerful and very, very strong. That's what he wants. Is anyone up for that? Yeah. I mean, there's a classic verse in Matthew 16, verse 18, where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. Gates are a defensive structure, folks. All right? It's, it's defensive. Unless you're Samson, you don't use gates to kill people, right? It's a defensive structure. So, so the, the idea that the church would actually threaten and, 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 um, and kind of overpower the gates of hell is, um, is an offensive thing. The church is meant to be powerful. Um, or, or, or put differently, I want you to hear this, the church is powerful this is not a vision down the track the church is powerful but even as i say this some of you go wow yeah uh, that's a nice ideal you go oh, i haven't seen that um sometimes it isn't right uh sometimes the church is downright weak isn't it does anyone know what I'm talking about? He's just like, yeah, nice, nice Pete. We'll try another church next Sunday. That's what some of you might be thinking. But it, the church is powerful. But the church is sometimes, 
downright weak. And here's, here's the question I want you to answer. What makes the church weak? It's a good question, right? Um, I wonder what you think. I wonder what you would say. Can I? I'm keen for, for three answers. Um, can you just call it out from where you are? Can someone give me an answer? And we'll stop after three because there's lots of things that make the church weak. But what makes the church weak? Disunity? People's choices? Disconnected from Jesus. Excellent. And it wasn't even a stitch up. That's exactly what I'm going to talk about. All of those three today. Here's the bottom line. I oh, seriously, I didn't even talk to him, really. Um, what makes the church weak? Disunity makes the church weak. That's, that's the bottom line. And uh, a little while ago in church here, I talked about unity and people came up and they said, oh, is there something going on in the church that we need to know about? And, so I, and that was, I was like, no, there's not something going on in the church that you need to know about. And there's no disunity of of any particular nature that I'm aware of in the church at the moment. You can ask the pastors, you can't ask the elders because they're all overseas at the moment, except for me, but um, you can ask the pastors about it. There's no significant disunity going on in the place. And the, the sad thing, in a sense, about people assuming that there's some kind of disunity when you talk about unity is because unity gets talked about most of the time in the church when there is disunity. And, and it's a sad kind of reality. Uh, but you just need to know that that isn't what I'm up to. I actually think the best time to talk about unity is when there isn't disunity. Is anyone with me? That's the best time to talk about it. Um, so let's, let's, just, um, let's just talk about this one, just for a little bit, okay? Uh, and, and as we do, the best way to understand the lack of something is to, is to see what uh, the original is meant to be, and the original is, is unity. Another word for unity is oneness. It's when multiple parts or multiple people operate as one we talk about unity in marriage two people operating as one you talk about unity of a team a team kind of operating as one headed in the same direction and, and there is there is something pretty special about people that operate in unity for a particular purpose uh, I don't know whether you've seen it but it, it is it is powerful and it's pretty special disunity on the other hand is not so much <laughs> right um no one here goes let's just go and join some place that has a whole bunch of disunity going on that would be really fun right no one does that people can be stuck in the middle of it they can be adding to it but no one's going we're, we're all having a really good time in the midst of all this disunity all right because disunity is about disagreement and conflict within a group so much disagreement and conflict that people can't actually work together and I I think uh, from my perspective that this disunity appears to me to be the main weapon that the devil uses not just against churches but against people fragmenting and splitting people off from one another anyone know what I'm talking about he is Here's what I think is a true statement. When the church lacks unity, it lacks power. I mean, we've all kind of seen that. Um, and you, you might be sitting there today and you go, well, okay, well, what causes disunity? You might have a few ideas about that. Uh, and there's lots of things that cause disunity. Poor leadership causes disunity. 
lack of clarity about what a group is or what a group is meant to be doing or a lack of clarity about the purpose of the group or how to do what they, they are wanting to do. There is so much that could be said about this and uh, I just don't have time this morning to go through it. So if you hear me say a few things this morning, you go, yeah, but what about this? And I'll go, yes, that's right. But I didn't say that so that we'd be finished before 3pm. All right? Everyone down for that? Yeah, amen. That's the loudest amen for the morning. Um, There's much more than I can cover in the message today, but the one thing I want to do at this point is just connect you back to something that I talked about in last week's message, and it's actually one of the most powerful causes of disunity, and it's sin. It's actually sin. You know, at a basic level, humanity's made for community and team. We're supposed to work together. Um, But what you'll actually see is is if you go back to Genesis chapter 3 that we looked at last week, you'll see that when humanity sinned, they went independent and they grasped after power, which is what I talked about last week, and the result was disunity. That's what it was. So you've got Genesis 2.24 that says, uh, Adam and Eve, the man and his wife, were one flesh. And then uh, only a few verses later, they're they're blaming each other. Adam's blaming Eve and they're hiding behind fig leaves and all of a sudden the two that were one are now two again. At least that's what it looks like. Um, Here's the bottom line. It's impossible to be unified when you're sinning, right? Because the very nature of sin is to break off from someone else and to do what you want and to get what you want. Now, sometimes some of you will go, yeah, but aren't there people who are like evil people that pursue sin and they're kind of unified in what they're doing. And I say, yeah, well, kind of, right? But I don't know whether you remember, but I think it was last year or the year before, there was this big police operation where they developed this app and they rigged up phones and they were selling this app and these phones to people in the criminal underworld for years. And they were able to tap in and listen to everything that was going on in these criminal networks. And on the surface, it looked like the crims were all together in the direction they were going but underneath it was a whole different story they were actually against one another and this this is the bottom line is that sin makes people incompatible that's what it does that's the very nature of it uh Ange and i my wife and i get to do premarital counseling with couples that want to get married and one of the things that i tell them um i tell couples that are about to get married is that um Uh, sin will make them incompatible with one another that's what it will do it's just the way that it actually works why because sin is about curving in on yourself it's about going independent it's about grasping for what you want and in the middle of people sinning everyone wants something different it's very hard to have unity in the midst of people sinning and so what you actually see is that disunity is part of our fallen dna Now, there's a side to us that still operates in line with the way that God made us, which is why you see people still being able to be united around things. Now, if that's disunity, being unified makes us a powerful people, then how do you do unity? That's that's a good question. Um, Well, the short answer is that you don't do unity. You don't do it. Um, I've been in churches where people up the front have said, talked about unity in a way, you just need to go and do unity. And and I don't think that you actually do unity. Unity is not something 
that you do, you unify around something. You don't go and do unity, you unify around something. So, if you are here last week and if you weren't, uh, go and have a listen to the message um, when you get home. What happened with Adam and Eve in the garden? What did they stop unifying around in the garden when they fell? It's a good question, right? Well, there was at least two things. And these two things are really critical. They stopped unifying around their identity and their purpose. That's what happened. Uh, They went rogue. They shunned God as their father. They set out on an independent quest. Their purpose became what, whatever they, they wanted. Uh, disunity happened and weakness was the result. And so what I want you to see this morning is that unity is connected to identity and purpose. It's just the way it works. Now, there are lots of good examples of unity because of identity and purpose in our culture. Lots of them. Uh, I'm a rugby fan and uh, a very sad one at the moment because the Wallabies are about eighth or ninth in the world or something. Um, One of the things I love about rugby, and I love most sports, but one of the things I love about rugby is that everything is a contest in rugby. Even when you get a penalty and you kick it over the sideline, you still got to win the ball back. You don't just get a tap, you have to win the ball back. Everything's a contest. And one of the parts of the game which is both entertaining and frustrating is the scrums that they have, right? Now, rugby league have scrums, okay? But the rugby league scrums are more like an awkward cuddle that you give someone that you don't like very much. It's like you get out as quick as you can. That's kind of rugby league scrums, but the rugby scrum is up close and personal. And I'm going to put a video on the screen of the Wallabies in some scrums, some rugby scrums. Uh, it's up close, it's personal. Um, notice something here in these scrums is that everyone on one side of the scrum, if you're thinking the Wallabies are a yellow team, everyone's in yellow, right? So there's a unity of identity, okay? There's a clear identity what's going on. And do you know what they're doing? They're, that's the Wallabies in the green there. They're all pushing in the same direction, Okay? Now, as that rolls, I want to say a few things about rugby scrums, which actually fit in with what I've been talking about with power and strength. Here's the first thing. Rugby scrums are offensive and defensive. They take the strain of the other team pushing on them, but the goal is to actually push back and be on the attack. And one of the things that happens is a a really good rugby scrum will actually cause the other team's scrum to break up. That's what it does, and that's what you can see in these videos. You probably see in the videos too that uh, rugby scrums are up close and personal. You see that? Um, The front row, which is actually the front row in the scrum, and the two guys behind them, they're in rugby. They're called the tight five, all right? Because they're kind of the bedrock of the whole scrum. They're the ones that have got to stay really tight together to be able to uh, push this thing forward and to actually win at the game. And, and you just need to know that rugby scrums, you can see here, they are just up close and personal. 
the dudes behind the front row literally stick their hands up between the legs of the front rowers and grab the jersey around there up underneath their cheeks it's kind of cheek to cheek if you know what i'm saying all right it's like they're they are just in there right it's it is tight that's that's what a rugby scrum is and and you can see here that a rugby scrum uh, fractures the opposition i want to go on to the next image now which is an aerial view of a rugby scrum and the wallabies have got a prop um he's in the number three role and he's he is they call him the tongan thor uh taniela tupo you might have heard of him and uh, he's so strong when the scrum stays together he will push through because he's actually going up against two players right the guy in the front row on this end goes up against one guy but the guy on the other on the top side goes up against two and he is powerful and he pushes through and you know if he can separate the two players that he's going against that's the end of the scrum that's the end of it just put power put strength through there do you know what this is this is one of the best examples and there's lots of them in sport but this i think is one of the best examples of unity in identity and purpose making people strong all right and i want to say to you well this level of identity and purpose is significant it is only a mere taste of the kind of unity of identity and purpose that jesus brought about on the cross you can see this all over the book of ephesians last week i uh, encourage you to read the whole book in the last week i wonder if you got to do that if you didn't uh, i'd encourage you to do that because this book is just probably maybe arguably unparalleled in talking about power and strength um book of ephesians tells us about how god has changed us at the core of who we are and what it means for the way that we operate it's actually the complete reversal of what we see in genesis chapter three so i want to take you on a quick tour through some other parts of ephesians which i didn't go through last week here's the first chapter praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in christ for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love he predestined us for adoption to what everyone say it. sonship to be a child through jesus christ in accordance with his pleasure and, and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of god's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding what's paul saying he's saying god adopted you into his family you're not an outsider anymore you're in you're a child of god this is more important than anything that you'll ever do there's nothing more important than this for your life and where you end up than knowing that you're adopted into god's family that you're one of his kids it's more important than winning a sports game even a wallaby scrum that was a bit tongue-in-cheek just saying what your interests are this is central to who you are this is central to your identity and who knows that god's family is a very diverse family indeed have you noticed that um have you ever looked at someone at like be honest have you ever looked at someone in the church and thought oh they're weird come on be honest have you come on put your hand no nah, come on <laughs> serious all of us have right because you know why 
Because they've probably looked at you and thought that you're weird. <laughs> That's the reality. Um, this is one of the things, like, one of the things you often see in, in uh, our culture is that people are united by common interest. But what, what Jesus does is he brings together natural enemies. That's what he does. And he, he unites them in him. And, and many of you have heard me say this before, but if you look at the disciples, one of them was Matthew, a tax collector who worked for the Romans, and, and another one was Simon the Zealot, who probably wanted to kill him. You know, and it's like the community group leader that night is thinking twice about asking the question, what were your temptations this week? It's like I wanted to kill Matthew. That's what, that's what I wanted to do. See, this reality about what Jesus has done with us is much deeper and more significant than most of what you see. It goes beyond interest. It goes beyond skin colour. It goes beyond language. It's who we are at the core uh, of us. Last year, a, um, a team from the church here travelled to Nepal and we ended up out in the middle of nowhere. The back blocks in uh, western Nepal at a place called Dilek. Uh, it was a long, full-drive trip over very bumpy roads. I don't get travel sick really ever, but I did this day. Uh, it was probably three hours in a... Um, in a Scorpio, and if you don't know what that is, blessed are you, all right? Um, we, we got to this uh, little part of Dilek, which was the lowest caste village, and they had a little uh, uh, hall like this, which is uh, where their church uh, met. I think about 90% of the, the uh, community there are Christians. Uh, you can probably see the guy kind of just off to the left in the white shirt. He's the pastor. I was a bit off from travelling on these roads, so I'm just sitting in the chair and just melting into the background because it's one of Graham's kind of, one of our elders' ministries. And uh, then all of a sudden, uh, someone said they want to hear something from the pastor, <laughs> right? And I'm like, underneath, oh my goodness, uh, what am I going to say? I was just thinking about keeping my lunch down or my breakfast down uh, and then I need to say something. You know what I, you know what I said to him? I brought a greeting from you. That's what I did. And, uh, and I, I told them how good it was to meet brothers and sisters that I didn't even know that we had. That's what Jesus does. It makes, he makes people family that you've never met before. And when he comes back and we all get to go to heaven, you are going to meet a lot of family that you didn't even know you had. And none of them are going to be irritating. Give me an amen to that one. They just won't be. Even if they're irritating now, they're not going to be irritating then. You're going to go, you are a marvellous person. You are a marvellous person. We were united by who Jesus had made us, even though we didn't know one another. And this is the power of what Jesus did. And um, that's part of what Paul's saying in Ephesians chapter 1. And then Ephesians chapter 2, there's, in the early stages of it, it talks about how Jesus has taken us from dead to alive. To alive. Um, and then the back end of Ephesians 2, how Jesus broke down the hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles. Uh, Gentiles are, are all the non-Jews and, and they were just kind of hostile to one another. 
Um, that was a big one. I mean, Paul makes it really clear in Ephesians 2 that Gentiles are in the middle of nowhere when it came to God's promises. Like, you, you're stuck in the middle of nowhere. That's where you are. Um, but Jesus came and created a new way. And then, and then Paul makes this statement, which I, I always just find these kind of statements curious when it comes to our mission statement, Restoring True Humanity. He, uh, he says this in Ephesians 2, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. See that? Thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them, Jew and Gentile, to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. See, God does something new. In the work of Christ, something new happens and the two that were separate actually become one in Jesus. And, and it goes on there in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, Paul says, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. This is the Gentiles, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Um, the power of Jesus on the cross makes divided people one. That's what it does. It brings peace where there's a lack of it and life where there is death. And so you get to the back end of Ephesians 3 and Paul has this prayer that we would have strength to comprehend God's love for us and you go too right, you need that, all right? To be able to get your head around that. And then in chapter 4, Paul starts talking about what this looks like, God's made you all one. So what does it actually look like? And, and you see this in verse 2 to 6 of chapter 4. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You get his point, he uses the word one a fair bit. Did you see that? You know, pursuing unity is a little bit like pursuing happiness, Right? Um, and that was kind of all the rage not that many years ago. It's like, oh, let's, let's pursue happiness. And it's like, well, you don't pursue happiness. It's a bit like you don't pursue unity as an end in itself. You pursue something else and you get happiness. You pursue something else um, and you unify around something and you have unity. Um, and this is the thing. Like, if you look at Paul's wording here, he's not telling you to pursue unity. He's telling you to maintain it. <laughs> Completely different, Right? So maintaining unity is about you've already been made one, now keep it one, right? That's the idea here. Uh, you can see it all over. Jesus has done this amazing work to bring us together and we need to preserve it functionally. Then Paul goes on in uh, the end of Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about what it looks like for everyone He's got this section that uh, theologians call household codes where he goes through different people in the household of God and here's how fathers need to do stuff and if you're a master, here's how you need to treat your, your slaves and if you're a wife, here's how you need to relate to your husband or if you're a child, this is how you relate to your parents. There's all this stuff about you are one, now be one. Act, act like you're one, be, be functionally one and this is a remember i said to you that uh, unity is connected to identity and purpose i've just been talking about identity for the last little bit but the other interesting thing that you find is tracing through the book of ephesians is these little crumbs so to speak that paul throws out about purpose as well because purpose is really important as well here's a couple you see one in ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 
We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see that? Identity, we're God's workmanship. Purpose, we've got good works to do. You see that? He's, he's kind of weaving it in. And then Ephesians 4, verse 7 to 8. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What's, what's Paul talking about there? He's saying that God's given everyone a gift to use. And maybe more than one. Now, what's fascinating about Ephesians 4, verse 7 to 8, and I've been geeking out on this one this week, is it's actually a misquotation of the Old Testament, right? Because the Old Testament doesn't actually say that the victor gave gifts to people. It says that people gave gifts to the victor. You see that bit at the end? But I think Paul's flipped it. Because this is the nature of the victor that is Jesus, isn't it? He has a win and then he gives gifts. It's like, it's the wrong way around. But for those of you who know Jesus and you know the gospel, the whole thing's the wrong way around, all right? It's not meant to work the way that it's worked, at least not in our heads anyway. Um, do you know this? you remember this? That Jesus, the victor, by the Spirit, has given you gifts that you're meant to use in the church. If you love Jesus and you call yourself part of Restoration Church, that's you. That's you. God saved you and there are jobs for you to do. You can see this purpose weaving through the book of Ephesians and then gets crazy, crazy loud in the last chapter. And we looked at that last week. We looked at the, the spiritual armour that we need. We looked at the fact that the devil and the principalities and powers of the world are going to come against us. And what's Paul saying with the spiritual armour? What's he saying in chapter 6 to the church at Ephesus? And you've got you to gotta hear this because Paul's writing this because some of you go, oh, he's talking about the universal church. He's not. He's writing it to a local church. And so Restoration Church, you've got to hear this. You know what Paul's saying in chapter 6? Pack into the scrum. That's what he's saying. Pack into the scrum. Put your head down and put your shoulder on someone's butt and start pushing, all right? That and be a powerful people. Now, I didn't talk about it last week, but there's a great section immediately after the spiritual armour section and some of you last week could have gone, well, why did he stop before the prayer bit? Because he wanted to do the prayer bit this week, all right? Um, and here it is. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So, you know, some people go, what should I pray about? Well, just anything. You could probably just pray about anything. And that, all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. What's that? Pack into the scrum, isn't it? Get in behind someone. Get in tight. I mean, I didn't tell you about the tight five for nothing. Right? That's, that's what we need to be doing. Pray also for me. Paul goes, I need you to back me in. Pack in behind me because I'm going to need your help. I need you to bring in some air support for me. 
Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I'll fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. See, this is what we're supposed to be doing, right? For everyone, not just for me, for each other. Pack in. What's going on at your work? Who knows about what's going on at your work? Who actually needs to get in behind you and make all kinds of prayers and requests for you? Prayer's not a piece of spiritual armour. It's the way that you do battle. You do it all the time. Praying in the Spirit means to pray under God's influence and with His assistance. The Holy Spirit. And I'll just encourage you, um, this, is, this term's usually used, and this is not on my notes, so we might have to delete this from the recording later, but this is a negative phrase normally, but you know, sometimes you say, a person's throwing their weight around. Well, I think some of you, you need to throw your weight around, right? You need to throw your weight around, you need to get in behind and throw your weight around. Why is Paul saying this to the Ephesians? He's saying it because he wants them to be strong. I want you to be strong. I want you to be strong. And so I want to finish today by making a few comments to you as Restoration Church from Peter. Um, Here's the first thing, Restoration Church. We are God's children and we have been called to join Jesus in bringing restoration to the world. Now, can you see what I just said? Where, what is unity connected to? Identity and purpose. I just said identity and purpose in that statement. And I don't know whether you noticed, right? But if you uh, go to our mission statement, our mission statement is restoring true humanity. And did you notice in our mission statement there's identity and purpose? They're wrapped up. It's who we are and it's a task that's at hand and there's much to be done. And I want to say to you, we are just getting started. <laughs> we are just getting started. We live in a world, who knows we, need, we live in a world that needs restoration. Amen? And here's the thing. Uh, it's not just people who need to come to faith. It's, it's everyone. I mean, you read Ephesians chapter 4 and Paul's talking about um, every member ministering to one another so that they can bring them to the fullness of Christ. So every Christian needs restoration. We all need restoration. Uh, we all need to bring each other to maturity in Jesus. And this is why you should be in a community group. Right? Because I just go, where are you going to do that? Where are you going to do it if you're not close enough to people? This is why restore groups are really good. This is why we come to Sunday church. This is why we do singing worship because it's restorative. It's why we do preaching and we do teaching. You know, there's, there's people in our midst that I think haven't even accepted Jesus yet. And pray for them. Keep talking about Jesus with each other. There's people in the world all around us. I mean, one of the things I'm so chuffed about with us buying this building is 
councils don't normally let churches be in the midst of kind of residential areas anymore. And, and when we were praying about whether God would do this for us, I remember praying, God, if you don't help us to buy it, would you help another church to buy it? Because it'd be good to have a church here in the midst of everyone else. There's a whole world of people that need restoration. We're involved in Nepal. Um, we're having conversations at the moment. There's a, there's a Nepali church that meets in our building on Saturday morning. They've been renting it off us. And they've just let us know we've been having conversations with them because we just want to help them. Because, you know, I don't know whether you know this, but there's a thousand Nepali families in Toowoomba. Most of them have got about four in their family. So there's about 4,000 Nepalis in Toowoomba. It wasn't that long ago I read on um, a news article that I think uh, immigration from Nepal was like the second or the third highest nationality that's coming into Australia. And we've got like a thousand families in Toowoomba. And so we're having conversations with this church because we just want to support them because we want them to reach uh, Nepali-speaking people. And they've just come to us and said, we'd like to have a conversation with you about us becoming part of your church. Now, it hasn't happened, right? And there's a chance it may not happen. But that's awesome, right? Because that just gives us an opportunity to actually support um, people doing work to share the gospel in a way that we wouldn't be able to do that. Isn't that awesome? You know, and, and some of you go, well, where does my money go? It goes to Peter sitting, having meetings with the Nepali church who want to actually become part of us to reach their people with the gospel. That's where some of your money goes. And so that, that's a good investment, all right? That's a really good investment. Where, look, keep praying for church planners to be raised up in this place. Why? Because no one ever said we only wanted to do one. Let's start with 10. That would be good, wouldn't it? If people are coming to know Jesus and people are growing and the gospel's going out and people are getting restored, you know, pack in and start praying for God to raise up more church planters in the place. All right. Here's where I'm going to finish. We're going to have some questions. This is just a, a still image, this one. Because um, I want to make a few comments to specific people in the context of just thinking about it, like pack, pack in. Uh, first one's really to everyone, and then I'll go to different different groups of people. Um, to everyone, we this church has never been clearer about who we are than what we are right now. We are really clear about that. We've got clarity about how we want to do ministry here. We've got a lot of clarity about the mission God has us on. If you're going, I don't really understand a whole bunch of this stuff that Peter's talking about. I've never seen it. Just um, sign up to our database and then you'll get a password to read. You can read all the policy documents you want on our logged in area on our website. If you're an insomniac, that will probably be helpful for you. Um, you can check all that out. And, and I just want to let you know, God is up to some really good things. And I'll just say this to all of you, pack in, pack in. I want to say a few things to people who are new here. Um, we've had a lot of new people come through here and uh, I just want to say I, I understand what it's like to look for a new church and uh, I want to say to you if you're new, you're welcome to come and check us out and work out um, whether this is the place that God would have you to be 
But just one caveat. Make sure you plant yourself somewhere. You don't have to pack into this scrum, but you need to pack into a scrum somewhere and get going with it. The New Testament has got no category for someone who's a Christian who's not connected in with the local church. It just doesn't make sense in the New Testament. You can sit in the stands and spectate for a while, but in the end, what you need to do, if you're a Christian and you're coming and checking us out, in the end, you're going to have to put your head in the scrum. (laughs) All right? You need to put your head in. Uh, It doesn't have to be here, but you'll need to put your shoulder to the wheel. You need to commit to coming to church, to being in community, to serving somewhere, to being on mission in your own sphere. We love you and we love having visitors and you are welcome here. But you'll need to pack in at some point, somewhere. The second group. Um, There are some who have been at Restoration Church for a good period of time and you don't have your head in the scrum. Right? You need to get your head in the scrum. (laughs) All right? Um, And you need to ask yourself the question, what would it look like to have your head in the scrum? To have your shoulder on helping this thing to go forward. Well, I think it probably comes down to three things. It comes down to participating, serving and giving. It comes down to those three things. Participating, coming to church, being in community group being in the community of the church, being, so to speak, in the tight five, right? Serving, finding somewhere to serve regularly in the church. That's important. It also comes down to giving, contributing financially to the church. I mean, Paul made it really clear in Galatians 6, let him who was taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. I spent all day yesterday preparing for this morning and and the finances of the church paid me to do that. And when you and I, because our family gives as well, when we give financially, it's another way that we put our head in the scrum and we push forward together. So I just ask you in a general sense, if you've been here for a while um, and you're not packed into the scrum, I'll just say to you, why don't you have your head in the scrum? You're a child of God. This is Ephesians, right? You're a child of God. He's got good works for you to do. And he's given you gifts to serve his people. Why isn't your head in the scrum? What's the problem? And the thing is, like, if you've got a problem with the church, that's okay. We can talk about that, right? And that's where I just go, look, if you've got a problem with the church and you don't want to pack in here, it's best that you go somewhere else where you can pack in. And I'm not kicking you out and I'm not being rude about it. It's like that... God's gifted you and he wants your head in the scrum pushing the thing forward because we are not just about self-preservation. The church is not just about self-preservation. It's about assaulting the gates of hell. That's what it is. Amen. Amen? And so everyone needs to pack in. Everyone needs to pack in. Here's the the last group of people uh, I just want to say something to. There are... A bunch of souls in this place who have been in the church and have had their scrum, their head in the scrum of Restoration Church for years. And I want you to know you are not overlooked. You you have been part of this place 
going forward. You just better believe that long-term, solid, faithful, bedrock saints are what takes this church forward and has brought it to where it is right now. And this is a bit cheesy, but, uh, you know, the church is a volunteer organisation and uh, I hear the pay is pretty rough, but the soup is great. Yeah, see, I tried. And i just say to you, if you're a long-term faithful saint, thank you. And keep at it. Keep going. If you need to have a break, have a break. And then pack back in. Keep going. We're with you. You're not alone. You know, we're a team here at Restoration Church. And when one person wins on a team, everyone wins. You know, someone became a Christian this week. Yeah, come on. See, you all had a win, didn't you? You all had a win this week. You didn't even know it. Didn't even know it. I often talk about having wins with the staff. Uh, you can talk to them about it. Talk to Michael Quilty about it, the ops manager. Um, we just talk about that all the time. Um, someone tells me about something and I go, well, it's gonna, I'm going to chalk that one up as a win. That's what I'm going to do. Um, even things that are patchy wins, you know, sometimes there's some things, it's like, oh, a couple of things went right and then one thing went wrong. It's like it was kind of like a 2-1 kind of win. Do you know what I'm saying? At that point, I'm going, I'm, I'm calling that a win. I'm going to chalk that up as a win. Um, it's kind of like a penalty shootout win at the end, you know, after a draw. It's like, I'm still calling that a win. You know, I'll say that. Um, why? Because a win, a win for one person is a win, a win for all of us. It's the way teamwork works. I was over in Nepal in uh, March this year. And, um, and I was getting reports of Peter and Tom kicking some goals back here. Now, I was so chuffed, right? Because I was having a win and I wasn't even here. You see that? That's what we are. You pack your head into the scrum and you're a team and it's like, I'm having a win and I'm not even there. And who knows when you're not doing anything to make the win come about that that's actually a pretty cool win. Do you get what I'm saying? It's like, I didn't do anything and I just had a win. I think sometimes these are the best wins. You know, difficulties are going to come. Difficulties will come to the church, but like tests for us that we looked at in uh, James chapter 1, they'll be good for us as a church if we lean into them the right way. Here's where I want to finish, um, just to mop up any lingering doubts. Unity comes through agreement, not coercion. This is what I want you to hear at the end. Because I've just said some really direct things to you and you go, oh, what are you forcing me to do stuff now? I'm like, not on your life, right? Unity actually comes from deep agreement about who we are and what God has called us to do. Some of you have come from churches that wielded control and coercion to get people to do what they wanted them to do. Most churches that do that are more like cults than they are like churches because that's not the way that Jesus rolls. And you just need to know, and I want to say it publicly to everyone right now, no one here is going to force you to put your head in the scrub. You know why? Because if we have to do that, it's a very weak church. 
because it depends on control and coercion. You know what we are going to do? We are going to continually remind you over and over and over about who you are, what God has called you to do. That's what we're going to do. It's going to go over and over. You don't need to serve out of bankruptcy. Jesus is the victor who gave gifts to people. If you, if you belong to him and, you're, and you've got the Holy Spirit, which everyone who belongs to him has, you have gifts and abilities to serve the church. You don't serve out of deficit or out of bankruptcy. The other thing I just want to note, just to mop up a couple of things, a couple of other things, is um, we don't think that the way that we're doing church at Restoration Church is the only way to do church, okay? There are other ways to do it too, which are completely fine. And here's the bottom line, some of you, even after this sermon, you might go, I think I prefer another way of doing it, right? And for us, like, that's okay. Our call as leaders, as pastors and elders, is to, to lead the church the way that we think that God wants us to lead it. Um, and if it's not a fit with you here, that's okay. I just say, find a fit and then stick your head in the scrum. I'm pretty well done. I want to leave you with a scripture. Um, this is a beautiful scripture out of the prophet Zephaniah. The Old Testament, you're all going, yeah, you know, I was reading that this week. It's, it's about what it will look like when the remnant of God's people are restored after being in exile. And I think it's beautiful. Then I'll purify the lips of the peoples that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. Isn't that good? That, that's powerful. That's powerful. To be united around the Lord and what he's done and to serve him shoulder to shoulder. Let's pray. Jesus, I... Um, want you to make us a really, really powerful people. Not for our own name's sake. Um, not for Restoration Church's sake. We, uh, we are part of your church. That you very plainly said you would build to be a powerful force. And we just say to you that and we would like to be part of that. So would you make us really powerful? Would you lead us into, uh, into battle against the devil? Help us to be strong. and do unbelievable things through us.